in a message series called um, What Does It Mean to Be a Follower of Jesus over several weeks now, so I'm not going to go through all the different things we talked about, but two weeks ago we talked about building our life on God's Word. It's an anchor for us in the midst of storms in our life. Today, or yes, last week, we talked about the power of prayer as one of the most under Jesus relate, relates well to our finances and possessions in our life. So we take a look at the gospel today where Jesus talks about this. A guy came to him. Apparently there was a family squabble and he wasn't getting his fair share of the inheritance and he wanted Jesus to be a mediator or arbiter between him and other family members. Jesus would have nothing of it. Matter of fact, he pointed his finger at something else in the situation and that was greed. And so he addresses a parable. Uh, He creates Jesus' mind touched by the Holy Spirit is very creative and comes up with this parable that deals with what he sees as the fundamental issue in this family squabble, which is greed. So he says this guy apparently is pretty wealthy, and he, uh, he has so much that he, has, he doesn't have enough room for what he has. So he, has to, he says, what am I going to do? i got a problem with my hands. The problem is i got too much stuff. i got too much possessions, too much money. I can't store it everywhere. So he has, he says, I think I'll tear down my barns. I'll build even bigger ones, he says, so I can store everything. And uh, so he does. And he says, and I, once I get that taken care of, and he says here, uh, for many years, he says, I can then have my ease. I can eat, drink, and be merry. So that's, that was the guy's way of looking at stuff. And Jesus says to him, but God said to him, Full. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you prepared, he says, to whom will they go to? So Jesus, in this parable, never criticizes wealth or money. He never at all criticizes the man for having wealth or money. What he criticizes him for is how he relates to it. In fact, Jesus makes a commentary on it. He says, so, so is the one, he says, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Or as we heard in, uh, from the, the other version that I just read from the gospel about what matters to God. So in other words, what Jesus was saying, this man invested himself in things that were not rich towards God. It wasn't the money that... Jesus had a problem with. It was the attitude of his heart that Jesus had the problem with. Now, what did the wealth mean to this guy? It meant status. It meant power. It meant prestige. It meant uh, political clout. It meant identity in the community. It meant all these things to him. Jesus was saying he's got his identity wrapped up in the wrong things. His identity should be taken to how God sees him and what God's plans are for his life and how God wants him to use his wealth, and his possessions. Instead, he acts as if God doesn't even exist. Now, this guy is most likely a synagogue-going Jew. He probably goes to synagogue every single Saturday night. But when it comes to his wealth, he acts as if it all belongs controller over all of it. He acts as if he's the beginning and the end of the say-so of how it should be used. And Jesus is saying that that's where he made his mistake. In fact, Jesus uses a very strong language. He, calls, he says, fool. Now, fool today in our culture would be pretty strong, 
But in their culture, it was like one of, the, one of those words you don't say to people at all. It's one of those words that you stay away from. But the word particularly means someone who squandered their life and life opportunities by not living in the light of eternity. St. Teresa of Avila said, life is short, but eternity is long. I often think that hell is a place where people are, who not only have rejected God in their life, but it's like, you know, oftentimes we characterize it with fire, things like eternal regret for having squandered one's life on oneself. In fact, uh, I think it was in Dante's Inferno, he has a sick scene in there where someone comes down into the pit of hell. The closer they get to the pit of hell, the colder it gets, not hotter. And when they find Satan, they see him in an ice cube, which Dante was saying he's self-absorbed. That's what this guy was in their story. That he was self-absorbed. That's why Jesus called him a fool, because he didn't relate, relate well to the gifts of the finances and the wealth that was given to him. So, why are we as followers of Jesus called to be givers of what has been placed in our hands, givers of our resources, our finances, our time, our gifts, our abilities. Well, one thing is because God himself is a giver. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's a giver. God gives lavishly, extravagantly. God gives totally. Jesus went to the cross for us and offered himself completely in unconditional love for us. Jesus didn't withhold anything. He didn't go to the cross and offer 80% of himself, 90%. Jesus gave 100% of himself at the cross. Jesus was a lavish giver of his life because he loved us, and it was for our salvation. We give because God gives. When we give, we imitate the very heart and the very nature, the very spirit of God himself. Second reason we give is, is that we give. It's an antidote to materialism. When we learn to give, Things, we give finances, we give our resources, we give our time, our energy, our gifts, and so on. It protects our heart from becoming like this guy in the parable, thinking that I can create my own resources, I have control over everything I have, and I can use it for my own ends, eat, drink, and be merry, I'm safe, I'm okay. When we give, it, it protects our heart from becoming self-sufficient regarding our own resources. We see our resources as gifts the Lord gives us to be shared. Third thing is why we give as Christians is because we invest it in eternity. You've heard it said before, you can't take it with you, right? And you've heard it said that there's never been a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Okay? You send it ahead by investing it in people's lives, because people will live forever. So when we give of our finances, our resources, our, you know, our time, our gifts, we invest it in people. 
We invest it in the Lord's work to bring people to a living knowledge of him. Their people will live in eternity. When we invest it in people, it's people who will live forever. So how do we give as Christians? What should be our attitude? Because in our story today, the guy didn't have a very good attitude. In fact, it was his attitude that landed him in a very spiritually disadvantaged position that Jesus called him a fool. Well, let me share with you a story from 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to a, a church there called Corneth, uh, a church in Corneth. Uh, he was writing to collect money for the Christians in Jerusalem that were suffering because of a famine that broke out. Paul was going around to different Christian communities and saying, hey, you know, we need money for these folks in Jerusalem. They're your brothers and sisters, and they're starving. And um, the Macedonian Christians were Christians that were very poor, and Paul said, you guys don't have to give, because I know you have, your, have your back up against the wall as it is. But the Macedonian Christians said to him, no, we want to give. And so Paul writes about that and says this to them. He says, each one must do as make up his own mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. So in this, are attitudes helpful for us in terms of our giving? So the first thing Paul says here, we should give willingly, not under compulsion or pressure. So no priest, pastor, minister, or anybody else should pressure you into giving. Because when we give out of pressure, we lose the blessing that comes to us. Paul says we should give willingly. We should give determined in our heart as to what the Lord is asking us to give. It's a spiritual thing to give. So we should ask him, Lord, how how shall I give and what shall I give? Place that upon my heart. Teach me how you want me to use my finances in this matter, or my possessions in this matter, or my time in this matter. Paul is saying we should give willingly, which means it should be prayerfully thought about and prepared in our hearts, not under compulsion and not under pressure. Second thing Paul says is we should give cheerfully. The word cheerful means hilarious. In other words, we should give with a sense of joy in being able to bless others. We shouldn't give out of a sense of guilt. We shouldn't be guilted into giving. We should give because we want to bless other people, because we want to invest in people who will live forever. And the third thing Paul says here is that we should give expectantly. He says here, God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. In other words, We should never feel that if I give, I'm going to be lacking. We should think the other way. When I give, I'm giving to the Lord who will multiply back into my life 30, 60, 100 fold. And why is that? Because it's a promise of scripture. Like Paul says, God is able to provide for you with every blessing in abundance. A lot of times when we give, we think, oh, I'm, I'm lacking, I'll be lacking that if I give. So we say that's sacrificial. In a certain sense, it is sacrificial, but we forget we're giving to the Lord and his people and his work in a way that God is able to multiply that back beyond what we could ever imagine. 
Matter of fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, my God is able to supply for all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is able to supply for all of your needs. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you have need of will be provided for. So when we give, we give to a God who wants to also bless us in our giving by supplying for whatever needs that we have. We should give expectantly. As a follower of Jesus, then, we give willingly, we give cheerfully, and we give expectantly. Because what we place in the hands of God, he's able to multiply that back. Giving, then, is something that we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Not to help out old church and her situation, right? We give to bless people. We give to put into the hands of the Lord so he can use it to achieve his purposes here on the earth. We give because the very heart and nature of God himself is to give. But as we give, we give willingly, not under pressure. We give cheerfully, not out of guilt. We give expectantly that God is able to provide for us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So let's pray. So Father, we thank you for giving of your only son at the cross for us. You are a lavish and extravagant giver who indeed wanted to show forth your generosity of heart to the whole world in giving your only son for us, for our salvation. You withheld nothing to achieve our salvation. So we pray this morning, Lord, that as followers of your son, that you would free our hearts from any fears when it comes to our finances, our possessions, fears of insecurity, uh, fears of lacking, fears of not having enough. Lord, that you would heal our hearts of those fears and through your promises of the scripture that we've heard here today, that we'd be a people who give willingly, prayerfully, people who truly seek your heart as to how you want us to use wisely what you placed in our life. That we be a people who give cheerfully, give with joy to be able to bless others. And that we be a people who give with expectation that you are able to supply for all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We pray this through Christ our Lord.